Good afternoon. And welcome back to our final week, as Ellie correctly pointed out, together. Our final week together in God's Word. Please note, I'm not saying our final week in God's Word. I'm hoping that this will continue for you to spend time in God's Word. But it's the final time for this week for us to be together, because I will be going back home in just under seven days, six days and several hours. By Monday, this time, next week, I should be on the plane going back to sea and to speak back to Michigan and my beloved. Uh, our last message, we talked about the fact of the, of the sanctuary. Uh, Christ died for sin and now serves as our priest. You see this in the book of Hebrews. And we talked about that in our final message. And that's just a reminder. Uh, there were ten words that I haven't really given you to memorize, but it's Christ died for sin and now serves as our priest. After that message, we're going to transition and go into a few other uh, important messages this week. So I want to ask if you will just pause while I pray for God to open our minds as I open His Word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of continuing to dig into Your Word. Bless us now as we consider Your gifts to us. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Some of you might remember seeing a, a picture of this lady. Uh, we're going to put it up on the screen, not right now, but for tonight. Her name was Ashley Smith. Anybody remember Ashley Smith? Mm, no hands going up. Okay, I'll remind you. It happened March last year, and uh, it was March 12. And they say that Ashley Smith uh, has clearly captured the public's heart. But we forget all too soon, so I'm going to remind you quickly about Ashley Smith. You see, there was this man by the name of Brian Nichols who attacked a deputy... Sheriff's deputy injured her, grabbed her gun, rushed into the Atlanta courthouse, shot to death the judge, Roland Barnes, the court reporter, another deputy, escaped, shot another, and killed all four people, an off-duty federal agent. And around 2 o'clock on March 12, early Saturday morning, he showed up there at the apartment of Ashley Smith, took her hostage, and she endured a seven-hour hostage drama that eventually the United States remembered. Now, who of you now remembers Ashley Smith? Hands are going up all over. That's right. Okay. So this is Ashley Smith. But there's one point I want to show to you here. Ashley Smith shared with him, told about her own husband who had been stabbed to death and said, if you kill me, my child will be an orphan. And then she read to Nichols, to Brian Nichols, from an inspirational book and talked to him about her faith in God. Now, what's interesting, this is what she said to him. I want to read you the words. Ashley said to Nichols, he, your life still has a purpose. How? By ministering to other inmates. She's saying to him, give yourself up, go to prison so that you can become a minister. I'll quote her actual words here. Here he was holding her hostage. He had two guns. She says, you can go to jail and save many more people than you killed. Courage, indeed. In fact, on the front cover of People magazine, it talks about a woman of courage and of faith. Fascinating. She talked to this multiple murderer, telling him that he could be a minister, that he could save so many people in prison more than he had killed with the gun. Fascinating. I want to spend some time today reflecting on gifts of the Spirit. Now, we talked about six days ago about stewardship, and I said we'll, we'll later on talk about the other two T's. When we talked about stewardship six days ago, what two T's did we talk about? Time and 
treasures. Right, time and treasures. Today, I want to go to the third one. And you can open your Bibles if you are able to do that here, since you, some of you are still enjoying the physical food. Matthew 25, verse 14 and 15. The parable told by Jesus. And the context, obviously, is the end of the world. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and 15. And many of you are acquainted with this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man... Matthew 25, verse 14, traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. As you study the Bible, it becomes clear this is a a parable, obviously, of Jesus himself. He distributes gifts through the Spirit to his children, those who accept him. And then he goes away. While he's gone, of course, the people who are his followers are expected to utilize his talents. This is the the third T, the talents that God blesses us with. We've talked about time, treasure, and now talents. Incidentally, tomorrow we're going to talk about temple, the body. That's what we're talking about, secrets of centenarians. But today, let's spend some time looking at the issue of talents. The first question is, why? Why did God send special gifts? Let's go to the book of Ephesians, one of the letters that Paul wrote. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. We'll go to chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. And here in this letter to the Ephesians, is one of the places Paul speaks about the issue of spiritual gifts. This is what he says, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That's Ephesians 4, verse 11. What's the purpose? Notice verse 12. So we know what God blesses His church with. And by the way, we'll get to the rest of Paul's writings on this in a few moments. But what's the purpose? Verse 12, it's key. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Aha, there's the first thing. God gives the gifts so that His children can minister to others. That's why I told you the story of Ashley Smith, where, he says, where she says to Brian Nichols, when you get to jail, you can minister to others and save more people than you killed. God provides gifts so that we can reach out to others. That's the first thing, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there's a second thing, for the edifying of the body of Christ. One so that we can reach out to others, too, so that we ourselves will be edified, be fed. And it continues, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Ah, there's part of that. How do we get edified? We become unified. We don't fragment. We are willing to work together into the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. That's spiritually. Children, why? Why children? Because children are tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In a simple way, the gifts are for two purposes. One, to equip God's people so that they can reach out to others. Two, so that you and I can grow. And growth includes working together in unity as well as being careful of heresy. That's part of growth. Keeping away from heretical teachings. Things that will cause us to go through and fro. There's a phrase I'm going to share with you that captures, in a nutshell, the purpose of God's gifts. I put it this way, God's gifts are for growth. You want to say that with me? God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. 
and to share His love. God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. Say it with me, please. God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. Two purposes that come right out of the Scriptures. Fascinating. This is why God gives us gifts. But the question is, how are the gifts given? And that's a very important question. And for that, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very well-known passage where the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, is writing to the people in the town of Corinth in Greece. And here is a group of people that obviously had some challenges because they were doing some things that Paul wasn't very happy with. And you can read it in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul is writing, some people call it, to the problem church in Corinth. So when you read 1 Corinthians, remember, they had some serious difficulties. So in the context, he's giving them counsel and sometimes rebuke as well. Here, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. My Bible has a subheading, Spiritual Gifts, Unity in Diversity. We already read in Ephesians 4, this is for the unity. But notice, unity in diversity. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now we're not going to read the whole chapter. So we'll just skip on to verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in, who works all in all. Interesting. There is a diversity of gifts. Please remember that. It is not everyone. And this is the danger we all face. Let me give you an example. I have been blessed with a spiritual gift. Well, some might not consider it when we're, if I talk too much, but the spiritual gift of, of sharing. <laughs> uh, some of us are sanguine, and then the Lord blesses the sanguine nature, and then He adds the spiritual gift when we are born again. By the way, a sanguine nature is a natural talent. I want to differentiate between natural talents or, a, or gifts or things that we learn. You go to school, you become a medical doctor. That does not mean, if you're a medical doctor, it does not mean you have the spiritual gift of healing. No? Okay, don't get confused here. Just because I'm sanguine doesn't mean I have the gift of sharing the gospel. It's only when we have the Lord change our hearts, when we are converted, that's when the Spirit transforms us and those natural talents can be endued with the Spirit of God so that we can grow spiritually and share His love with others. Okay, please let's make a careful distinction because too many times it can be that we have these natural gifts. Let's say somebody who has a beautiful voice. Let's give you uh, an example because they always say, oh, isn't she talented, right? When somebody sings beautifully or, or a guy plays the violin with exquisiteness and say, oh, he is so talented. Hold on. Those talents can all cause people to become proud. I am the greatest singer. However, when you are converted, then you have a different attitude. Praise God. How can I share these talents that have now become spiritual gifts? I want to draw that clear distinction. Yes, they can sometimes be confused. So we're talking here about spiritual gifts. And notice, there's a diversity of gifts. I want you to go to chapter 20, uh, the same chapter to verse 28 now. The first Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all prophets? The answer, rhetorical answer is what? No. Are all uh, apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? 
Do all interpret? The answer obviously is no, 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 no. So we don't have all the same gifts. And we shouldn't be trying to say, oh, I've got to have that. No, hold on. Why do I say that? Who decides what gifts you should have? Go back to verse 11. This is key, folks. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Interesting. It's up to the Holy Spirit. So if somebody says, you should all go out there and, let's give an example, all should be out there preaching. No, that's not the biblical thing. It's the Spirit who decides what gifts you need. If somebody says, all of you should be healers. No. If somebody says, all of you should speak in tongues, the answer is not according to the Bible. The Bible says the Spirit decides how that should be used. And just something about tongues, if you study, it's very fascinating. It's the Hebrew word, uh, the Greek word for languages, okay? Let's go to verse 19. Same idea right there. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? In other words, the body of Christ must have a variety of gifts. But notice Paul puts this in the right context. Go to the end of chapter 12. Very important, folks. End of chapter 12. This is the context, but earnestly desire the best gift. Which is the best, Paul? Oh, yet I show you a more excellent way. The verse 1 of chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men, there's one of the gifts, and, a, and of angels, but I have not what? Love. I do not have charity. I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It is all useless. I am just a noisemaker. That's what it is. Go down to verse 13, to the end. We're not going to read the whole chapter because that chapter is, is saturated with this love issue. And at the end he says, And now abide, now remain faith, hope, and what? Charity or love. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. is that, And that's the word agape. God's love. God's self-sacrificing love. God's unconditional love to save people, to bring them to Him. And look at verse chapter 14. Now Paul goes back to gifts. But notice how he starts verse chapter 14, verse 1. He's, re he's reminding you. I've talked about it in an entire chapter. Don't forget. Verse 1. Pursue what? Love. Pursue love. He doesn't say pursue prophecy. He starts with number 1. Pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may, what? Prophesy. Now, by the way, the word prophesy, let's get it in the context. The word prophesy does not only mean predicting the future. We often think of it that the prophet is one who does two things uh, in, the, in the Bible. He speaks for God and he speaks forth. He's, he, pro, he predicts the future, but he also talks about what God would have us do. The prophet has these two major functions, not just predicting the future. Fascinating. The key, folks, is the issue of love. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says the same. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, 16. Let's go to Romans 12, verse 4. Because you can find this thing reiterated over and over again. The importance of love. We're not going to go to the other verses. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Ephesians 4, 16. But just one more here. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Again, spiritual gifts. For we, as we have many members in one body, same idea, but all the members do not have the same function, same thing he pointed out before. Now go to verse 9. Let love be without what? 
hypocrisy. Be genuine. In other words, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Over and over again, the concept is love. Unless you have love, the spiritual gifts are just a noise. They just irritate. Ever happened? You've come across people who believe they have a spiritual gift, but they do it without love, and it's irritating. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? That's dangerous. So be careful. Every spiritual gift must be saturated with love. And of course the question is, are these gifts supposed to continue? Did they die out with the early church? Interesting. When Paul writes to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, go just a couple of pages or so beyond Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Now he was writing to the early church, yes, the Corinthian church here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, so he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll come at the end of time, yes, but you will not come short in any gift until Jesus comes. And in a nutshell, the, the church, God's people, will be blessed with a variety of gifts, every gift needed for his church until Jesus comes. The same concept is found in Ephesians chapter 4. So we should expect apostles and healers and prophets, administrators, all of the gifts should be expected till the close of time. However, there's a warning. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 24. Again, the words of Jesus. Matthew 24, that well-known Olivet Address. It's called because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives as he was telling people about the end of the world. It says in verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives and that's when his disciples came to him. So let's go now to verse 24. Easy to remember, Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now think a minute about this. Jesus says, I will come again. And he warns us. There will be people who will come and say, they are the Christ. Ever heard of that? People say, I am the Christ. Believe me, follow me. Unfortunately, some people have done that to their own detriment. One of the most recent was the Hale Bop group. Remember those people? I believe it was, was it in California here? Where they committed suicide? following somebody, San Diego KS, okay. There was also the time when there was somebody who took a group out to um, Guyana, Jim Jones, you remember that? Almost a thousand people drank Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. Don't forget, down in, uh, was it Texas, Waco, Texas, David Koresh, again, claiming to be the Messiah. These are dangerous people. So Jesus warns there will be false Christs, and false prophets. Now here's the question. If he warns us against false prophets, what does that imply? We must be open if there would come a true prophet. If there were going to be no prophets, what would Jesus have said? Remember folks, no prophets will come after the end of the New Testament. Interesting. So he could have said that clearly. He said, but watch out for false prophets, implying there will be true ones. Which means we better be open to every gift of the, of the Spirit. And, and of course, you all know this. Have you ever found a, an $11 bill? Counterfeiters never do that. They try to counterfeit something that you wouldn't suspect. $20 bills, $50 bills, no $11 bills. Okay, The counterfeit will always be so close to the genuine that it's hard to distinguish unless you know the genuine, right? 
So that's a caution to every Christian. Be careful. There could be all kinds of false manifestations, no matter what it is. False preachers, false evangelists, all right? All of those. Be careful. Any gift can be counterfeited. And so here is the caution of Jesus. Be careful. What then is, does Paul tell us to do? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians quickly. 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's the counsel that he wrote as he wrote to the group in Thessalonica, also in the country of Greece. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul sounds a serious caution here. Be very careful in simple terms. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. First caution, don't, do not quench the spirit. Now, you know, that includes sometimes the Spirit speaks to our hearts, to our minds, and we try to push it aside. So in that context, don't quench the Spirit. Be open also to spiritual gifts. Listen, read further. Do not despise prophecies. Okay? And then he says, here's the key. Test all things. That's key, folks. Test all things. Prove all things. Hold fast to what is what. To what is good. So we are challenged, we are called upon to be seriously, serious students of observing what's happening, testing everything. And that's the caution, that's the challenge to everybody. Now I've mentioned before, last week I said for the first seven messages I was sharing with you, many of the things that we as Seventh-day Adventists hold in common with other Christians, many of those things, there are some of the rest of these seven meetings I'm sharing with you that we hold common with one or two other Christian groups out there. Here is one I want to share with you because it's very important to go back to Scripture and ask the question, if a prophet arises in a church, what do we have to test? How do we have to test them? So I've come up with what I call the ABCD. Easy to remember, ABCD. We'll go with the ABCD. The first one, application. Application. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 7. How do we apply this and who applies it? Application. Very crucial. These are the words of Jesus again on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7. Very strong caution by Jesus. He already warned at the end of the world, false Christs, false prophets will arise trying to deceive you if it were possible. Matthew 7 verse 15. The context, Jesus is warning there. Again, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing in disguise, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? By their fruits. Here he says, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. Go down to verse 20. Here it is repeated. Jesus repeats the concept. He says, Therefore, by their fruits you will what? You will know them. So I use the word application. The, the prophets that come, do they apply the message to their own lives? Is it applied so that you can see they live according to what they speak? Have you ever seen people who say, practice what you preach, man? <laughs> okay? That's it. Do they practice what they preach? Are their lives evident of, of what they claim to be? And, and application, their teachings. Do their teachings have a positive, Christ-centered Impact on the people who apply it. There it is. Okay, now please note, sometimes people misapply prophetic messages. I remember hearing about someone, oh, I won't say which country it was, but they had some crazy ideas. And they literally starved their child to death under the guise of some kind of a health 
fanaticism. And of course, that church got, the, the people, the church that these people belong to got a bad name. Sometimes people misapply things. So please don't look at everybody. People sometimes err and they go crazy on things, okay? And health reform can become health deform. Alright, so be, be, be wary of that. Okay, but the question is, the people who properly apply what the prophets give in the scriptures, for example, if you properly apply it, how does that impact others? Do people see the love of Christ in you? Do they see that when you properly apply the prophetic messages of the word? Very important. So application is number one. Number two, Bible. Okay, the B. Let's go to the B. What is the A? Application. Let's go to the B. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20. The B stands for Bible. Now you know, you gotta remember the context. This is Isaiah speaking. He was writing, uh, it's about 700 years or so before Christ, as we can calculate best. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 8. And of course, uh, some of the, what we now call the Old Testament, hadn't yet been written. But here is what Isaiah says, and notice what he says. Isaiah 8 verse 20, what we now call the New Testament, hadn't come about because that had a, another seven, 800 years had to elapse before that would happen and before Jesus would come. But here Isaiah gives a caution. And he's talking in the context again of people who claim to be speaking for the Lord. That's what it says. So he warns them, be careful of people who claim to speak for the Lord. Then he says, verse 20, to the law, the Torah. Remember we've talked about this before? The five books of Moses. The Torah, to the law, to the Torah. That's the Hebrew word. To the law and to the testimony. Incidentally, I checked again today. I wanted to check my Hebrew. The testimony is a term that is, can be used synonymously with the injunctions of the prophets. So here Isaiah says to the, to the um, Pentateuch, to the Torah, and to the testimony of the prophets, if they, these other new prophets, do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no what? No light in them. If people who come along, who claim to be prophets, don't speak and teach what is in the Bible, then they are from darkness. Be careful. That's the B. The capital A is what? Application. What is the B? Bible. And what any person who claims to be a prophet must teach is biblically based. Let's go to C. The third one, Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 9. Jeremiah 28, verse 9 is our third one. This is the capital C. And I believe it will be easy for you to remember these tests if you just remember the A, B, C, D. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. And there are several texts that talk about the same concept. It's a well-known concept in Scripture. Jeremiah 28, verse 9 this passage captures it very clearly and positively. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, when it comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. The C stands for consequences. The C, consequences. If you say it's going to happen, do the consequences bear up? That's important. And of course, you can find other passages in Deuteronomy. We don't have the time to go there today. Deuteronomy 18 verse 22, it's the reverse. It says, if a prophet prophesies and it doesn't come to pass, the prophet is a liar. He is not from God. Okay? So what does the C stand for? Consequences. Let's review. A is application. B is Bible. C is consequences. And D, most important, the foundation. Let's go to First John now, chapter 4. 
And by the way, you can see, as you read Scripture, you can see some of these principles coming out in other places too. We're just capturing them here for the brevity of time. First John, John chapter 4, close to the book of Revelation. First John chapter 4. I want you to briefly look with me at a passage. Again, in the context, it's warning about false prophets. Every one of these texts is in its context, which we see as four major tests of the true or a false prophet. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's the caution. False prophets have gone out. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of whom? Is of God. So the important one, D, stands for, and I got this, I went to um, Romans chapter 11, verse 26. It refers to Jesus as the deliverer. You want to put down D as deliverer. The person who claims to be a prophet should point to the deliverer. You can put in parentheses there, Romans 11, verse 26. The deliverer, Jesus Christ. If the prophet talks about Jesus, he believes, he claims, and he says, yes, I know that Jesus came, the incarnation, I believe in that, I believe in his pre-existence, the whole truth about Jesus Christ. Then we know, and by the way, all four tests the prophet must pass. Cannot pick and choose. They all four go together, the A, B, C, D. Let's see if you remember those. What is A? Application. B, Bible. C, and D, Deliverer. Now, here's the rest of the story. Seventh-day Adventists, as a, a denomination, have kept our minds open and we have concluded that in our history there have been, please notice, people who've come along and claimed to be prophets. Sometimes even mod in modern times, I've even heard of one more recently in Europe. I wouldn't say which country. What do we do? We go back and we test, correct? There is only one so far that we are aware of who has accepted this call to be a messenger of God and we have tested it and we have concluded that the evidence that we have seen right now shows that this person does pass the four tests of the prophet. Seventy years she ministered, one of the most talented writers ever in the history of the world. She is the most talented writer ever, written the most. And the most translated, um, that's the most talented woman writer and the most translated writer between male and female in the United States on religion, education, evangelism, publishing, management, health, etc. In fact, this very institution that is here, she was instrumental in starting. Her name is Ellen G. White. And so I am aware there have been many people who have challenged it. In fact, I brought along a few examples here in the last five minutes. Fascinating. Her messages have been challenged from at least 1874. And I thought I would bring this. And detractors have been around. But the danger is this, folks. Most times, unfortunately, she has been falsely accused, and I believe unintentionally. Okay? And I say most times, yes, we can talk about that further. Prophets are not perfect. You know that. Sometimes they made mistakes. If you think of Nathan the prophet, he gave David wrong advice and said, the Lord is with you. And that night the Lord spoke to him and said, Nathan, you're wrong. Go tell David you made a mistake. Don't forget that, okay? Uh, so Nathan the prophet. We, so sometimes, we, as we look at it, false accusations. I have here where she was accused in the 1870s. I have one more recent one that came out in 2004. Detroit News. I said, wait a minute, where do these people get this stuff? I was looking at the website and there are so many false accusations. It just oozes out everywhere. Be careful. 
The accusations are simply accusations. Here's my question. When Jesus was on the earth, what did they call him? They called him in today's language, a bastard. That's what they said. He is an illegitimate child. That's what they said. They said he has a demon. They called him bastard. They called him Beelzebub. He is the devil himself. That's what they called Jesus. They were false, obviously. You know that. Paul was accused. The simple point I'm making is, there will be accusations. Our job, my job, your job is to do what? Test the spirits. Check to see if it is true. And only if it is true should you follow it. Don't believe the naysayers and detractors. Go back and check it out for yourself. A friend of mine, by the way, an acquaintance, has written this book, Graffiti in the Holy of Holies. Clifford Goldstein. Here's a book I would recommend Probably by the ABC, you check it out at the library. An incredibly well-balanced book, studied carefully. Clifford Goldstein, in this book, he has done... The reason I love the book, he has summarized about 10 huge volumes. <laughs> now, you can go and read the 10 volumes if you want to, but Clifford has just summarized it for busy people. If you want to read the 10 volumes, you're welcome to do that. But he's done an excellent job in doing that. Now, these are detractors who are not part of our communion. But you know what? Even within our communion, we have detractors. Here's one from somebody who claims to be a faithful Seventh-day Adventist. He is challenging and attacking Ellen G. White's ministry. Interesting. From outside, from inside. There have been, though, good biblically-based historically valid responses. And actually, if you have the chance to come back tonight... And I just got this book on Friday. I haven't been able to read it through yet. The author is going to be here this evening, Dr. Leonard Brand, a uh, biologist and paleontologist here for more for 35 years. I was visiting him last week and he said, have you seen my new book? No, I, I've heard about it. I walked over to the ABC and I bought a copy. I've read half of it so far. Stayed up a little late last night. But... Fascinating. He's going to be here to share with us a little bit this evening about what he has studied. And this is what he said to me. He said, Ron, for the first time, we have scientific corroboration that Ellen White, what's the best word I can say, did indeed bring messages that couldn't have come from a human source. What? Yes, of course, that motivated me. I walked all the way down to the ABC and bought a copy of the book. Got some exercise in the meantime, too. Let me read you one quick statement here before we close. This is what uh, Clifford again says, my acquaintance, uh, I've known him for years. He says, putting aside a million and one questions about the royal mess we, as Seventh Adventists, notice, okay, is correct, a royal mess we have made presenting her work, Ellen White's work, or two million and one questions about the exact nature of Mrs. White's role, I still don't know how anyone rationally and logically, looking at the objective evidence, okay, looking at the objective evidence, the bulk of the writings themselves placed against the background and witness of her life could conclude anything other than she had a prophetic gift. Interesting. That's Clifford Goldstein, as statement he made recently. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to challenge you folks. If I had time, I could share with you a story could you wait three minutes? I'll do it quickly. Okay, we'll end by five till as well. Try. Happened to me. I was in Zimbabwe. And I'm going to compress nine months into three minutes here. I was, on, I was in a tree, fell down, broke both my wrists, broke my, my right heel, uh, sprained my left, my, my sternum cracked open, I fell 20 feet onto the concrete driveway, three vertebrae compressed in the back, T12 was sticking out into the spinal column, I almost became paralyzed. 
Miraculously, I, I didn't. And I was rushed to the hospital. They didn't treat me in Zimbabwe. Medical treatment wasn't the best. They covered me up in casts and sent me home without straightening the bones or anything. Bone marrow seeped out into the bloodstream. Went through a chemical change. I developed ARDS, adult or acute respiratory distress syndrome. My lungs fill up with fluid. And after five days of observation, they sent me home apparently to die. Seven days had passed before I was rushed back to the hospital again, to a different clinic this time, where at a Catholic hospital, they intubated me and saved my life. My oxygen level went down to 18%, which the doctors, both in Zimbabwe and in the United States, told me I was the level of a corpse. And when I then began to recover, and lots of people were praying around the world, and I praise God for God's people praying. When I say God's people, I'm talking about Seventh-day Adventists, and I'm talking about people who are not part of our immediate community. And I was so touched, I went to visit with this non-denominational prayer group and thanked them in person for their prayers on my behalf. I praise God for His global church praying for me. And I, I know it was the power of the Spirit that gave me the opportunity to come back. But the doctors said, from the medical side, the doctors said this to my wife. They said, Linda, if your husband were not so healthy, he'd be a dead man. Why? Well, here's my personal testimony. And I'm going to back off immediately and say, I have not always been faithful. I have not always been the best witness. But in time, over years, as I've read the writings of Ellen White, by the way, my primary book, as you've heard so far, I've never mentioned her because my faith is based on the Word of God. That's where my faith is based. But as I've read the writings that she shared with this church, especially the health message, which is why Loma Linda is here, I grew. And as I grew, one of my weaknesses was ice cream. I only overcame it just last year. <laughs> Took me 30 years to, to battle that. Okay? I'll admit that. As long, I'll tell you some more this evening. But it's a long journey. Fortunately, I was exercising. My lungs were strong. I was involved in cardiovascular exercise. And because my lungs were strong, that's why the doctor said, if your husband were so, weren't so healthy, he would be dead now. Yes. Why? I did follow and grow in these wonderful health messages. Tonight, tomorrow night, we're going to talk rather about the health and how we can all be healthy and live long, not so that we can have a world record for when we die, but rather we can live long to God's glory. Okay, that's my short testimony here. I managed it in two and a half minutes. I thank God for these wonderful messages that we have been blessed with. We need to apply them properly. One last verse. Listen to this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20. Some of you might know it even by heart. Here was this king who was challenging his people to be open to God's leading in their lives. And this is the challenge I would love to leave you with today. As you leave here, he simply says in the last part of the verse, chapter 20, verse 20, Second Chronicles 20, 20, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be what? Established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Holy Father, thank you for blessing us with your holy word. The prophecies, the messages from scripture. And Father, as we have seen in the Adventist church, you've blessed us with Ellen White's writings. Some of us may be challenged by this, Lord. Some of us within our faith are challenging and questioning it. Help us to approach this with an open mind, whether we're in part of the Adventist church or not, help us to look carefully and Lord, if the evidence is clear, if the weight of evidence is persuasive, may we be willing to follow where you lead.
thank you for this gift you've blessed us with. Help us to apply everything properly, to be firmly based upon the Bible, and to share with others the love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.